Lord, we give you this time. It is yours. So allow all things that have been uh, in the works, Lord, allow the the selection of songs, the preparing of seating lists, the dads and moms and friends and couples and singles, all that put on each shoe today and each jacket to be able to come be present. Lord, just allow those efforts, Lord, to bring you joy. Would you, Father, have your way in this moment so that everyone present, whether it be physically or whether it be visually looking from home, God, allow us to have this moment to be one that is worshipful. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know that you are big when you get a Netflix documentary named after you or it's the focus of your life. You know that you finally made it when like you Netflix says we want attention on you and you have something valuable to say. I mean, never mind. This sister is a professor. She has written five books that are New York bestsellers. This sister goes around training corporations uh, in her area of study. This sister has an endowed chair with a couple million dollars that people have given to make sure that as she trains up the next generation of sociologists, she'll be around for some time. But what really was the real accomplishment wasn't all the PhDs and stuff, it was Netflix. Sister's name is Bre Brene Brown. Uh, this sister uh, is is connected with a few people that you would find as pretty popular, kind of the the Oprah Winfrey's kind of that echelon of people. Uh, she's been connected to those groups. And one of the things that she is pulled out and kind of focused on is these four topics that people know well. Her areas of study are courage, vulnerability, empathy, and shame. She has put decades of energy and time into understanding these concepts. And I will say that uh, I don't readily like sign up people to go study under Oprah Winfrey. I don't believe she's the Eve, big evil against Christianity. This sister is trying to do some positive things, but I would not say that that's where you should get your spirituality from. I do think, though, that people have certain understanding and certain wisdom that Christians can learn from. It doesn't have to be just in the Bible for us to have some general understanding, for us to be able to have some learning. And so this sister, Brene Brown, who focuses on courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy, she had these words. She did a large study and she said the relationship between joy and gratitude was one of the most important things that I found in all of my research. I wasn't expecting it. In my 12 years of research of 11,000 pieces of data, I did not interview one person who had described themselves as joyful, who also did not actively practice gratitude. 
For me, it was very counterintuitive because I went into the research thinking that the relationship between joy and gratitude was if you are joyful, you should be grateful. But it wasn't that at all. Instead, practicing gratitude invites joy into our lives. Today, as we are going to be entering into God's word, as we are in our new sermon series in the book of Philippians, we will allow this teacher named Paul to help us understand Jesus as we examine this topic called gratitude. Gratitude. So if you can, please turn with me to the book of Philippians. We'll be diving in the very first chapter And we'll be getting into this, this solid, this book that has some great tools for us, some great wisdom for us, some great blessing for us if we would simply heed God's word. The first verse reads, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. With the overseers and deacons, grace to you and grace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a a a a way in which we greet one another. Some of y'all say, hey, some of y'all say hi. Some of y'all say, how's it hanging? Some of y'all say, what up? Some of y'all say What's going on? Like there's different ways in which you greet one another. And if I were to say, hello, how are you today? You would know that that greeting means something more formal. But if I say, what up, though? You know that you in the midst of family, you in the midst of crew, you in the midst of people that you feel connected to. And so even when Paul is writing this letter, he starts out with a, a bit of a greeting. He starts out identifying who he is and who Timothy is and how they are rooted in Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say, hey, I'm going to greet the people in the room. I'm going to make sure everybody knows who I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to the saints, the people set apart for God's holy purposes, the people that would be deemed the Christians. And what he does is he says, what up, family? What up, saints? He says it in a way where where these people listening knew that they were the included group of family that Paul was thinking of. And so he says a a word, a term that is pretty common. It's almost like a an everyday greeting that you would say grace and peace. Something that should not be taken for granted, but something that can be easily overlooked if you say it just too often. You know, sometimes you say, hey, how you doing? And somebody say, blessed and highly favored. And before you know it, they say blessed and highly favored so much that it don't even. Okay, what what's that mean? Does that have any value to you? Does that have any significance? And so this this term grace and peace. The African Bible commentary refers to to grace, to something specifically expressing God's kindness, his mercy and his favor to an undeserving people. But that is peace is living in calmness, living in tranquility, trusting and experiencing satisfaction as a result of God's reconciliation of sinners 
with himself through Christ. So this starts off kind of a, a family welcome, a, a connection through greeting that lets the people know you set apart for something special as my brother, as my sister. But we, 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 we get sometimes the, the, the cultural differences. If you uh, have ever come to a, 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 there's certain times when certain greetings are appropriate. You walk into a courtroom and someone will simply say, oh, hell, and everybody got to stand up and greet the judge when he comes in. When I was coming up, we was in a small black church and anytime somebody stepped to the podium, they started off by saying, first giving honor to God, who's the head of my life. I want to greet the usher board. I want to greet the deacons. I want to greet the, the shoe shine ministry. I want to greet like you greet everybody so that you knew first honor was given to each position because you saw each position of worth and value. Paul is letting the people, the saints know there that I see you. I see your value and I see your worth. And so then he goes into verse three. Because today we are going to continue with this one concept, this concept that's going to get kind of branched out, this concept of gratitude, this concept of thankfulness. He says in verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Now, we're going to spend this sermon talking about gratitude and, and breaking that down from a few vantage points. And the entire book, though, the theme is a bigger theme of joy. And so I want you to get an understanding of joy that we're going to come back week after week after week. And joy is simply this. Joy is uh, a, a certain feeling and an action. It is it is not simply just an action, something that you go and live out. It is also something that you feel and embrace. So, for instance, joy. In Matthew was seen when the shepherd is searching for his lost sheep and he finds the sheep. And what does he do? Rejoice. Experiences the joy of finding someone that he had been searching for. But it's also an action. That's not dependent on what we have going on in our lives. So Christ said to his disciples, rejoice. Even when you are persecuted, reviled and slandered, rejoice. So we know that this joy concept is something that we feel, but it's also something we go and do. And it's not dependent upon our circumstances. Hallelujah. We need to hear that. Because if our joy is dependent upon our circumstances, I think everybody might stand up and say we probably won't be joyous very often. But thankfully, God gives us a, a strength to trust, believe and cling to him that joy is something that can be experienced even in the midst of adversity. And as Paul will say in a minute, even in the midst of imprisonment. Today, if you could consider 
a, a, a mental image. Think of think of a tree or think of a plant and the plant that you see is joy. But the soil, the nutrients, the roots that are that are feeding are feeding on gratitude. If I can be real with you for a second. One of the ways in which you can clearly see people breaking down their relationships, whether that's their friendships, whether that's their marriages. One of the ways you can clearly see relationships fragmenting is when people no longer are grateful for those that God has placed in their lives. You start to see how a, a, a friendship can unravel when it's all about me. Or when in that moment, instead of me seeing the value and worth that you are offering, I actually reject it. You see, if you want to begin to start seeing like wholeness and seeing relationships become strengthened. Ask yourself what you're grateful for in those relationships. What is it that you value in those relationships? I, I see it happen in our, in our own home. I, there's been times when wifey and I get into an argument and and, you know, I'm right. I'm, I'm you know, what I'm saying I'm right all the time. So like we get into the argument and then she got to go run errands to bless the family and she leave. And I got all the kids and I'm kicking it with the kids. And then we with the kids for a while. And then we were with the kids for a longer time. And then I start hitting the window. I'm looking out the window like she coming. She coming back. You know, I start, I start getting a little antsy. And, and, and when she hits the door, I've got an opportunity. I got an opportunity to be grateful for her return. Or I have an opportunity to. You should have been back. You see, gratitude will begin to influence all things. And Paul is starting to try to set the mindset of these people that he's talking to this, these people that he cares for dearly, these people that he sees as family. He's trying to say there's a way in which you're going to be able to view the world. And you are a person of God. So we must be able to view our relationships with gratitude. Yeah, I'm, I'm sometimes I'm wrong, boo. Gratitude does not mean oblivious to reality. Gratitude does not mean we just ignore wrongdoing. But what it does mean is we can see how we can be thankful in the moment. Paul uses some trigger words as we go through this, this verse to help spark gratitude for us. He helps us to, to be able to be grateful people. So he says, be thankful for partnerships. Look in verse five. Be thankful for partnerships because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The gospel, this term that Paul used to suggest the the movement of God, understanding the totality of who Christ is and who God is and how he's working in humans. But there's a there's a deep, beautiful history that happens here that Paul is referencing. So so Paul is this man that was that was working. He was what you call a tent maker. He he would make tents 
and then throughout the week, make tents and then go into the synagogue on the weekend and preach the gospel. So Paul has this dream, this dream that that this man from Macedonia says, I want you to come, Paul, come bring us the gospel. Come talk to us, Paul. So Paul says, Timothy, let's roll. We going. They head to Macedonia. They go to this place and they go to pray and they meet this woman named Lydia who's balling out. Lydia has money. Lydia uh, is, is affluent and Lydia is a believer, but she goes even deeper in her faith because of Paul and Timothy. And she says, Paul, not only am I going to go deeper, I'm going to my home to bring everybody in my house to faith. So now in, in Philippi, Lydia's house has come to faith while they walking on the street. They see a woman that that is being taken advantage of. These men are saying she can tell the future. We're going to make money off of her. And, and they say we're going to cast this demon out of her. They cast the demon out. And now. These men get mad. They get mad because now this woman who was making them money off of being able to tell the future is now not making them dough. So they get thrown in jail. Paul now has led Lydia to faith. Lydia's family is coming to Christ. This woman now is free from this, this uh, evil spirit. And these men that were lord lording it over, we might call them her being trafficked in that time. And now they find themselves in jail. And while in jail, a miracle happens where everybody's doors are open and people can can run free from the jail and they stop the jailer who's about to take his life because it seems like all the guards are out and they save his life. And then he goes and his family gets saved. So now you got Lydia's family gets saved. You got this woman who was possessed that no longer is possessed. And you now have this jailer who gets saved. You got the upper echelon of the world now saved. And you got the jailer, the lower echelon, all now living for Christ in Philippi. And Paul started that whole church ministry from saving those two individuals. So now you have a church in Philippi and that church out of those people, out of those folks being saved, say, Paul, no matter what you do, we ride or die with you. Wherever you go, we got you. And they start writing checks for Paul. They start sending money no matter what Paul does. And it changes the gospel ministry of Paul forever. Because Paul went from tent making all during the week and just preaching one day to now that he has this financial support that he's getting because these people have come to Christ and they are like, Paul, we are with you no matter what. Now he can go share the gospel every day. So when Paul sees them, he sees them as family. He sees them as people spurring on the share of the gospel. He sees them as partner, not just a, a donor. You know how sometimes something happened in a, in a city far off and you'd be like, oh, man, that's jacked up. Let's go ahead and write a $10 check and mail it in to Salvation Army. No connection. No real engagement. No reciprocation. No, no, no. Paul is saying 
you all have been the reason why each person I share the gospel with, I've been able to do that faithfully, faithfully, faithfully because of your giving. And so there's a partnership aspect that he is now grateful for. There's a couple of partnership aspects that happened in in our lifetime. There's a woman named Georgia Gilmore. When the civil rights movement was taking place. And when Dr. King and others, and this is from a, an article that's written in the. Um, uh, in a uh, uh, that I got from NPR, but it's listed in a variety of places. A woman named Georgia Gilmore, when Dr. King and others held meetings in the Montgomery Improvement Association at Holt Street Baptist Church, Sister Gilmore was there. She was selling fried chicken sandwiches and other foods to African-American men and women who gathered there to pledge to use to not use the city's buses until they were desegregated. Gilmore poured those profits back into the movement. As John T. Edge recounts in his book, the pot liquor's papers in the process, her home kitchen became the locus for change. It was it was in the, the University of Mississippi documents this entire journey where Sister Gilmore organized black women to sell pound cakes and sweet potato pies and fried fish and stewed greens and pork chops. Yeah, you're getting hungry. I'm getting hungry, too. Uh, and, and they had uh, beauty salons and cab stands and churches that they were served. She offered these women, many whose grandmothers were born into slavery, a way to contribute to the cause that would not raise suspicions of white employers who might fire them from their jobs or white landowners who might evict them from their houses that they rented. The money they raised helped pay for the alternative transportation system that arose in Montgomery during the 381 day boy bus boycott. Hundreds of cars, trucks and wagons that ferried black workers to and from their jobs across town each day. Gilmore's cooking was paying for the insurance, was paying for the gas, was paying for wagon and vehicle repairs that kept the system going. She called the group of women who worked with her uh, the, the club from nowhere, because as Betty Gilmore's sister said, uh, in her later years, it was like, where did this money come from? And they would just say it came from nowhere. You see, you see that partnership, you see that relationship, you see that strength there where where no, I'm not just giving a check. I'm a part of this thing. I am dialed in. And wouldn't you be grateful if somebody believed in you like that? You see, at some point. Somebody has believed in you in that way. At some point, even people that you may have got into a, a, a riff with, somebody who you get into an argument with, somebody who, who sometimes you feel like they're your enemy. No, you, 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 you probably have experienced their grace, experienced their love, experienced their sacrifice. And so what does it look like to to not position yourself as to as to how you can be on the offense? But how can you be a servant in that moment and be gracious, thankful, grateful? There's another example of uh, of of 
of this kind of principle. This brother who's a pastor named Tim, uh, Tim Bingston, who's a, a pastor of City Reach Oakton Church. I heard him share this and it just it just it rocked me because I didn't know this reality. There was a brother named William Tyndale. In the early 1500s, William Tyndale was a passionate scholar. Uh, he had passion to bring the Bible to England. At that time, you could not read a Bible for yourselves. It was heresy for you to try to actually write, read a Bible without it going through the Catholic Church. And so while it was also illegal, he also did not have the money to do so. But he really believed that God wanted the Bible in the hands of people. But then came along a guy named Humphrey Munmouth. Humphrey, I would say that name three times, Munmouth. Brother Humphrey was a businessman. He had dough. And he believed in what Tyndale wanted to do. And so he took the risk. He provided money. He provided a house and he protected him and he paid for Tyndale to be able to advance writing of the Bible. And Tyndale created a translation. But Humphrey didn't stop there. Humphrey had all the networks, all the connects. And so Humphrey also had people smuggling this contraband, <laughs> these Bibles throughout England. This was costly. It uh, it cost Tyndale his life. And Humphrey was tossed in jail for it. After both of their deaths. The king of England. Within two years said every church needs to have their own Bible. And within 75 years, King James came along and ordered the creation and revision of a translation that individuals could have. And 80 to 90 percent of the content that Tyndall had written was now put into this King James Bible. Some people remember Tyndall as a publishing house name after him, but very little people remember Humphrey. What does it look like to join in movements of God and be a part of things that God is doing? Maybe you are the one to execute it and somebody's going to fan your flame with finances. Maybe you are the one to give. Pastor, I don't have thousands. You don't need thousands. Man, I wish I could testify to what you told me the other day. Just our brother James was had an idea to just be a blessing and, and help another entrepreneur who's going to be coming up he posted and other people start saying well hey you doing that i want to do it too what was it fifty dollars a person how much was it james so fifty dollars a person try to help an entrepreneur he said 23 people have now been helped and you had you were just starting with one how many was you starting with Started with one person for $50 was his idea. Ended up giving away over $1,000 because people joined on. What's it look like to partner? What's it look like to see God moving? And what's it look like for us to be grateful 
to be grateful. Continue with me. I won't be too long, y'all. Man, I got to say this. Like, I, I know we would not be in this building. I know we would not be in this church. I know Pastor Leon would not be a pastor if it were not for so many people who believed in us. Gave and give. From Grace Community Church to East Gloucester Community Church to what? what is it in VA, Jenny? Divi, what? Yeah, she said something. <laughs> her church in VA, her home church that supported us, like so many people. Continue with me, verse six, y'all. But be thankful for how God is working in someone's life. Verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So our, so our sermon series, y'all, is, is joy fully, or it says living fully. You see, is, is the slide up there on the screen? And, and fully means completion. Fully means complete. It means uh, uh, complete. And so Paul has in mind here a, a wholeness that the believer is going to be operating in, that in all cylinders, all ways, you are thriving as a believer. But you can't do that if you can't be thankful. Have you ever given somebody a gift and they didn't say thank you? I mean, like, not like, you know, you see somebody eating, here go a napkin. Even then, you, a thank you would be nice, you know what I'm saying? But like something where you spent your time trying to consider them. Wondering how you can come alongside and bless them. You kind of get a little excited for the, the joy and the smile you might get ready to receive. And then you give it to them and it's like. Hmm. <laughs> we, we, we must be a people who are thankful. And Paul is seeing in them something bigger than any item. He's seeing Christ is going to work in their lives, started a work that drew people to him and is saying it's going to be complete. There's a sanctification. There's a you looking more like Jesus every day process that is going on. And I'm trusting not that you're going to be able to do it on your own, not that you got the strength of yourself, not that you got the willpower, but that Christ will bring it to completion. That's fully living, y'all. That's joyfully living. That's living life to the fullest. And so he's excited. He's grateful for what God is doing in their lives. And I, I ask you, are you grateful for what God is doing in the lives of other people? Do you see what God is doing in the life of other people? Do you have thankfulness for what he's doing in the lives of, of others, even if you are in a struggling, struggling, struggling relationship? Is God not at work at all in their lives? Continue with me, verse 7. Because if we're being thankful for how God is working in someone, now we ought to be thankful for deep relationships. 
Look with me in verse seven and eight. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. Family, this is a a a a heartfelt letter. This is one of those situations where you get locked up and somebody comes to visit you. Somebody comes to see you. Somebody comes because they care about your well-being. The church of Philippi said, Paul is struggling. Paul is doing great. Paul is feeling low. Paul is doing, Paul is doing okay. And no matter how Paul was doing, they were consistent. We will be there on your mountain highs. We will be there on your valley lows. We will be there because we are thankful for you, Paul, and you are thankful for us. And we want to see you do well. And so when he's imprisoned, they faithfully give. I have never been to prison. Uh, but from my understanding and from friends and family members that I have had in prison, people start out strong. The amount of visits and cards you get in the early days can be plentiful. But as time goes on, it's not that people don't love you anymore, but it can be the weight of the world has those cards coming in a little bit less. Those visits a little bit more infrequent. But this church of Philippi was consistently celebrating Paul and sending funds throughout his imprisonment. And we see actually in chapter four, even though Paul had touched other ministries, no other ministry gave but this one. So they got a special place in his heart. Mac family, I'm, I'm praying that the depths of relationships will be something significant that you experience here. We're going to have some awesome worship. We're going to have some great times of serving. We're going to care and touch this neighborhood. But if you are a part of Mac Ave Community Church and you don't connect with people and grow in, in some intimate relationships, you truly have missed the essence of Christian community. We've got some, some new people that are checking us out. And so actually, I say new because some folks have even moved into the community since we've been in this building, you know. And family, I want I want folks to experience the depths of relationships that we have to offer. I, I want folks to be overwhelmed by love. I know it's COVID. Pastor, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. If you only knew, I'm just trying to hold on. I got the, the worry of COVID that I'm trying to manage. I got the, the traumatic detox I'm trying to go through from all this racial stuff. Pastor, it's just a lot. My kids, my family, my car, my job. All, I get that. I get that. 
But there is something beautiful that happens in community that not only feeds you and gives you energy and strength, there's also a blessing that you offer someone else when you allow relationship to be sincere. And so at Mac, as a sister put in the chat a week or two ago, hey, I'm new to Mac. I'm hoping to find some friends that I can connect with. At Mac, I want to be bombarded with texts from church members that say, hey, uh, did that sister leave her number? Let me reach out. At Mac, as families have moved into our community with little kids, I want them to be like, hey, pastor, can you chill the church out? Folks keep calling me and trying to invite me over for dinner. I said I ain't cool with that COVID stuff, but they can send me a Grubhub. But like, hey, pastor, I'm chilling. Like, you know, like, like, we are the body of Christ and we should be having intimate relationships where I'm grateful for you and I'm thankful for you. And when I need you, you can come help me out and I can help you out. And we all exhausted. But we don't forsake the beauty of fellowship because of just our state. Trust me. When you serve somebody else and when you care for somebody else, even in your exhaustion, it gives you life. So we have to be others centered. And I love here that even in imprisonment, their bond was that of the gospel. And so the adversity that they faced didn't stop the depths of their relationship. And so this passage it kind of ends how it starts. It started in verse three with, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer. In every prayer of mine. And so I'm going to read these last three verses, but I'm going to read them twice. And the first time and as I read this prayer, I want you to consider somebody that 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 you are grateful for in the gospel. Somebody that contributed towards your growth as a Christian, somebody that has helped you mature, somebody that has been a a contributing factor to you being complete. As I read these words, I want you to think of that person and just have that person on your mind. Be grateful for them. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, the second time we read it, I want you to consider someone that you want to invest in. Not someone that has invested in you that was on your mind, but someone that you want to invest in so that the relationship can be deeper, so that there can be a sense of gratitude for what God is doing in their life and in your life together. Hear this prayer. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent 
and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What would it look like if if that prayer became true for the person that you're thinking of? How amazing and awesome would that be? And what if God wants to use you to bring that prayer to reality? Let us pray together. Father, you are our great joy. But we cannot experience joy if our hearts are not grateful for what you have done. So, Father, lead us. Help us to shed off the layers of hurt, the layers of pain that stop us from being able to look out and see all the ways that you have blessed us, even in the midst of trials and tribulations. Paul writes this letter from prison. A prison that was far more crazy than our prisons today. And yet he's writing about how thankful he is for people you've brought in his life and that support him. I'm grateful for this church and the many people that you've allowed to be a blessing to me as pastor. We celebrate you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The only way that any of us are able to understand the concept of gratefulness is because we acknowledge that we don't deserve anything. It's, it's not our will, our strength, our smarts that make us likable to Christ. See, we are thankful and grateful people because of what Jesus has done for us. And if today you are a person that's saying, well, I don't know how to be grateful, but I want to be. I believe being grateful is something that was good for me. And so if that means submitting to this Jesus you've been talking about, Pastor, then I'm willing. You see, that, that is the starting place of a new life. That is the, the starting place of, of, of freedom from your old ways. Old ways being shackled to sin. Old ways meaning patterns where you say, I won't do it again. I won't do it again. And you keep doing it. Freedom from sin. And that's just the, the breaking from what God intends. The, the worship that he has designed, we choose our own way. But praise the Lord for Jesus. Because Jesus gives us the ability to break away from obedience to pain and hurt and to accept new life, accept freedom and victory in Christ. And so today, if today you are saying, Pastor, I want that. I want to have victory. I am not a person that is grateful in the least bit. I'm not thankful, but I recognize God has done something for me and I want to model my life after him. And we want to celebrate with you. We want to walk with you. We want to say, first off, hallelujah for the change God is doing in you. But then second, we want to walk with you and see you accept Christ, but also live for Jesus. And so if you want to pray or if you want to accept Jesus into your heart, simply pray this prayer with me. 
God, you are in control. I realize I try to control my own life. And I want to submit my life to you. Have your way. Thank you for forgiving me for sin. And allowing Jesus to die. So that my sins could be forgiven. Fill me with your spirit. That I might live for you. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen. If that is a prayer that you've prayed today for the first time or recommitted your life, uh, then we celebrate you. We celebrate with angels who are having a party. Grateful and excited about the change that's taking place in your life. And we also want, though, you to be able to now walk with the Lord. And so after this time of worship, uh, I have a Zoom call and a meeting where we would love to walk with you through the next steps of living for Christ. We'd love that to happen here at MacAv. Uh, but if not, we just want to see you walking and that could take place at any biblically based church. So family, uh, there are a couple of things we're going to do as we celebrate and worship. Uh, next, you can begin to prepare your communion elements.